Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Pop a top again. I've just got time for one more round. Set them up, my friend. Then I'll be gone and you can let some other fool sit down. I'd like for you to listen to a joke I heard today. From a woman who said she was through and calmly Alan Jackson away. singing Papa Top. I tried to smile and did a while. Seemed appropriate. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, joining me from uh, Kansas is Will Costantini. Will, how are you? I'm great, Mac, here in the wonderful Midwest. Yeah, yeah, well, that's great. Tim uh, Lynch joins me from McAllen, Texas. Tim, how are you? Enduring a delightful period of weather down here in the south, this is the time to be here, that's for sure. Oh, really? Really? Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Good for you. It's good to hear that. And uh, joining me from Southern California is uh, Jeff Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good. I'm here in the cannery row of Orange County, San Clemente. Enjoying it every second. That's uh, (laughs) that's great. And I'm I'm, uh, in uh, North Carolina, Camp Lejeune. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've got the nation bracketed, right? And, uh, if Will was a little bit further north, we'd have the four corners, uh, um, the four points, uh, kind of corralled, but we're kind of close. Um, speaking of Alan Jackson's intro music, uh, Will, uh, what's your, what's your go-to beer? When you drink beer, what do you drink? Um, I like... I like stronger beer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some great beer here in Kansas City. Uh, a company called Boulevard started here, and the first beer they ever made is Boulevard Pale Ale. Really good stuff. Um, I like anything except for your standard Budweiser, Miller, etc. And I can honestly say I have never purchased for my own consumption a light beer. <laughs> You, you sound like you say that with pride. Um, well, I mean, if you're going to be known for certain things, you might as well, that's one of the things you should be known for, I think. Interesting. Tim, uh, uh, when you drink beer, what kind of beer do you drink? I I normally, uh, I, I I don't drink that much around here, but I've been lately, I've been going down and getting big old, those big old growlers of 40 millimeter Mike Mike Stout right by the brewery that's right down the road from me. It's a veteran owned brewery. And, uh, but, but I don't, I don't, that, that's what I, I normally like will drink a strong beer. I'll never drink a light beer. It just seems to be a complete waste of time. It might as well drink water. It's better. Wow. Yeah. Jeff, Jeffrey, what do you drink? Well, I'm not really a, a beer drinker. I mean, I have drunk a lot of beer in my life, but uh, I have to say, the only time I really liked a beer was when I was a busboy in the two years before I came in the Marine Corps. We used to get Lowenbrow beer. Well, some people would call it stealing the Lowenbrow beer. We'd get the Lowenbrow beer. That Lowenbrow was like walnutty. It was great to taste and put you on your ass. So uh, I, I would say, you know, I don't even know if they make it anymore, you know, but uh, 
it was the best beer I ever had. Really, Lombra, the best beer you ever yeah. had. I'm a Coors or a or a Heineken guy. They, to me, they taste the same. <laughs> <laughs> Green meanies. <sighs> okay, so what is what's your go-to drink? Period. Or uh, if you if you if you could drink anything, Will, what do you drink? Um. So, I, I like to drink a beer. Uh, if I drink wine, I like to drink uh, good Italian wine, you know, Chianti Classico Reserva. Uh, and if I have a cocktail and I'm going to have a cocktail, uh, having resided in Florida, I'll have an old-fashioned. Whoa, that's a boozer drink right there. Okay, so if you have your choice, if all three are sitting there and you can only drink one, which one do you drink? It, you got to have the context. You know, what are we doing? Oh, my God. Right. Are we sitting on the porch? Are we having dinner in a nice restaurant? Uh, you know, whatever. whatever. Are we at the tiki bar? <laughs> you know, you <laughs> <have content. laughs> All right. All right. Timmy, if you, um, what's your drink of choice? Well, it, uh, it became a, um, a, a properly made gin and tonic. And I, I got into this habit uh, in Kabul when I was uh, the, the, the program manager for the Embassy Guard Force. The company I was working for had a company house that was right outside the embassy compound, big ass three story place with a nice porch. And it had a Hazara kid who made the perfect gin and tonic with the bitters in it. Oh my God, they were, de- they were delightful. And I used to go every, uh, about six o'clock every evening, I'd go sit out there with Radish to South Africa and we'd drink gin and tonics watching all the excitement happening in Kabul. I just loved it. But that, so if I'm going to drink a, a drink, that's what I drink. I don't drink them often though. All right, yeah. Jeffrey. Well, first of all, I want to say that's very Puka Sahib of Tim. <laughs> you damn right it was. <laughs> yeah. And yes, Sahib. My favorite uh, hard booze drink is a vodka tonic. I used to drink gin tonics, especially when I was in Tehran, but they made me go even more, you know, stupid than I normally do when I drink. So I had to get off them. <laughs> I went to vodka tonic. The wine I drink now for the last couple of years has been Pinot Grigio. And uh, oh. and again, the the beer is like I drink a shitload of beer when people offer it, but uh, you know I don't know really the difference between any of the tastes except for that back in 1973 the Lohenbrau, which I wasn't even of age to drink then, but we did anyway. You know. Yeah, I'm with Timmy. If I would, my drink of choice is gin and tonic, right? Yeah. And and I'm like I'm like wine illiterate. Like, oh, Mike, Mac, do you like uh, Pinot Grigio? Do you like? Yeah, sure, pour it in. Let's go. I'm like I have no idea, absolutely no idea. And you have so, to drink it out of a box to keep <laughs> the bottle from ruining the flip. That's how I drink my wine out of a box. <laughs> Last time I saw you drinking wine, you were drinking it out of a trough. So yeah, well you know, I advanced. <laughs> well, the straw doesn't stay at one place. I move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. The other thing I will drink is uh, I will drink Bailey's uh, Irish Cream as an after dinner drink if I'm if I'm doing such a thing. But th- that's kind of my that's kind of my limit. I that's, I, I don't go much, I don't stray much beyond that. I'm fairly limited in my. So you, so you uh so you drink Coors, gin and tonics, and Bailey's. So you're very in touch with your feminine side. Abs- <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I, Who isn't? Yeah, you can't beat drinking an old fashioned though, or a, you know, or a, uh, 
you know, or Manhattan. Th- those are good drinks, you know, if, pe- yeah. if the guy makes them right or the girl, you know. There you go. I like sake too. Yeah, my, my, I like uh, sake a lot. My dad likes Manhattans, but he'll only drink them if the bartender's over 60 years old. <laughs> if anybody younger than that doesn't know how to make it. Right. Well, if it's younger than that, you just got to drink it fast. <laughs> the uh no you know what you know and and as timmy was talking about about gin and tonics in afghanistan there's certain proportions that go into a good drink and people that think you're they're making a better drink by just making it stronger piss mm-hmm. me off right mm-hmm. yeah me too <laughs> all right what do you guys want to talk about i haven't seen the news since uh saturday hey i'll give you oh hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on before we get to that will has been dealing uh with some family medical stuff and right. this has been much in the news. I mean, just people and, you know, family members going into hospitals. You can't go to the hospital. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I was talking to Jeff and Will. How did that go? And would you have any advice for people who have to go down that road? Because uh, uh, it can be a little bit <laughs> aggravating from most of the people I talk to. You know, interesting. Uh, when I worked for General Dunford, uh, we would, the only people that gave out the Purple Hearts in the D.C. area was a comment on the ACMAC. So we'd be over there at Bethesda sometimes every other week for an entire morning or entire afternoon. And uh, one of the things I told the families there is, you know, you got to advocate for your Marine. The, the people here are good and there's good care. And I think at Bethesda it was world-class care. The problem is there's so many people and so many shift change and so many nuances to everything I told the families, you really got to stay involved and, and help them help your Marine. And so, you know, recently, uh, you know, the care was great, but you can't go into the hospital. And so, you know, I ended up trying to coordinate and talk to the resident and talk to the nurse every day. And I get the numbers on things like white blood cell counts and blood pressure and all that stuff. And I knew uh, enough to know a little bit and uh, trying to coordinate between the attending physician in the, in the hospital with the primary care doctor out of the hospital, ensure a good handoff uh, to monitor the drugs that are administered in the hospital compared to the prescriptions that the person's on when they go in. Did they take their prescriptions when they're there, when they get discharged? You know, the discharge instructions were crazy. It was about a 10-page document that basically listed every possible thing you could have been in the hospital for. And then they crossed out with a, with a highlighter, one-line highlighter, the things that didn't apply. Like, if you had a stroke, do this. Well, it didn't have a stroke, so they lined it out. And so you get this 10-page document that you're sorting through what you're really supposed to do on discharge. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad are are up there in age. And uh, uh, trying to sort through this thing was, it was a, it was a nightmare. And I, and I was trained how to do this um, 
just, you know, between my wife's time in the hospital and then spending time in hospitals with my Marines and then with as sort of a surrogate for all those battalion commanders who were still deployed when I was back there in the Pentagon. And I had a good idea on things that should be happening and how to do it. And, uh, and it, it was really hard to the point of almost uh, failure. I mean, nothing bad ended up happening. But despite all of my efforts, we really didn't get a great handoff. And that, that puts people in a lot of jeopardy. Uh, you know, you go into the hospital for a non-COVID thing. Uh, hopefully you don't get COVID when you're there. And then when you get out, how do you ensure that the care, there's a solid continuum from the hospital to the, your primary care doctor? And, you know, I did discovery learning uh, for a couple of days. I mean, just figuring out how to get medical records out of a hospital to a doctor uh, out in town, um, you would think that there have been a few people that had done that before, and the hospital would know that, and they'd sort of light the path for you. Absolutely not. You discover the path on your own, and it's almost serendipitous. You're making phone calls and talking to people, and you know one thing I know about certain things is there's some people that you got to ask the exact question. And so I just phrased the question 16 different ways uh, to get uh, an answer that I could use to move on. So it was, uh, it was really hard to do. And I can't imagine people that are ill and don't have, you know, someone that can step outside of that a little bit to help them out. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there like that that are in jeopardy because their family was not in the hospital with them or doesn't know enough medical type of things uh, to be able to do it. And uh, it'll be in the statistics, like it or not, uh, when we look back on all this stuff. So if you've got a loved one in the hospital, you've got to go way, way above and beyond um, to connect with the people there and connect with their you know, continuity of care when they get out. And I said, I, I got no real complaints about the care, but it doesn't matter. If they drop the ball the day you get out, all that care you got in the hospital may be irrelevant. So it, it was painful. Yeah, so, well, can I, I, let me just ask a stupid question. So you, you get a phone number and you're calling a phone number looking for, uh, looking, for, um, looking for a doctor. Do people answer those phones? Are they? Um, well, some some do, right? Attending physicians don't. You get a, a number for the hospital uh, that goes to a desk, and sometimes people answer, and sometimes you leave a message, and usually they call you back, but not always. And I get it that people are busy. But something simple as this. You go to a hospital via ambulance, go through the ER, end up inpatient, and you get an attending physician there. And then... When they kick you out of the hospital because you're good enough to get out, they need you to go see a specialist to deal with continuity. So you don't know the specialist. You have your own primary care doctor at home. So then you call the specialist to make an appointment. And the, and the specialist assistant says, well, do you have this, 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 and this? And no, you don't have that. They don't give you all those records on discharge. So you call back to someone at the hospital. 
and they say, uh, geez, we don't really do that. Um, maybe if you call this, so then you call that number and they say, oh, so, so you, your doctor isn't in the hot. So, well, you're going to have to sign a release. Okay. How do I get a release? Um, can we, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, we'll email it to you. Can you get it back? Uh, okay, do that. Get it back to them. All right now, what do we do? Well, it takes 72 hours till the final note is written, blah, 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 blah. I mean, and again, you're trying to make sure that there was a handoff from the attending physician to a specialist to your primary care physician out in town. And it's as if you're the first person in the world this has ever happened to. There's no simple instruction when you get out. There's no coordination from the attending physician automatically to your primary care or to a specialist that's going to continue your care. There's no understanding of all the requirements that's automated so that someone pushes the button and it all gets sent to them in the format that they can use. Uh, and, and it reminds me, General Dunford and I went to uh, San Diego in like 2012 and met with a bunch of Marines and families there from Warrior Battalion, and it was it was almost like a cacophony of uh, we want to keep our doctors because they have been shuffled back and forth by doctors, reprinted records, hand delivered records, uh, ad nauseum, and look, there's some people that just give up on that, say screw it, not going to buy, it's not worth the hassle anymore. These people don't want to fix me, you know. I, I'm not in that situation with my family, um, but you can see how, in particularly people with brain injury, how that would happen to them. Oh my um, God! Yeah. So, in fact, I think it's one of the things that the uh, Semper Fi Fund is shifting a little bit to do more of these um, case manager type of things, just to help fill in that void wow. for guys as they get out of the system um, to just help them coordinate because uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely infuriating, you know, cell phones and leaving messages and talking to people. And, and again, it's as if you're the first person on earth that did this. Right. Right. Tim, Jeff, any thoughts, any comments? Hello. Mine is showing that Jeff is muted there. <laughs> How do I unmute him? It says mute, but he's not—he's not muted. Timmy, okay, hey, you hear me? Yes, I just unmute. Yeah, you muted me, and on my little icon, I just unmuted myself. That's oh. how I came back. You might want to try that, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, try that. Well, I muted. No, I, I, I knew I muted you because Jeff makes so much noise, and I want Will to be able no, to talk. No, that was fine because I normally mute myself, so I just, I stopped doing it. I'm listening to what Will's saying, and and I know from experience, from you know, from my hospital corpsman days and whatnot, the importance of family members being with anybody who's in the hospital, because all kinds of horrible things happen to people in the hospital, uh, mistake wise, that some for a variety of reasons, but but. But it's always been standard since since I was a since I was a, a, in a hospital corner. It's always been standard in anywhere that everybody knows that you got to have somebody in the hospital making sure that your 
loved ones being taken care of appropriately because the hospitals sometimes make mistakes. And doing that from afar and working through the phone and every time you're talking to somebody, it's the first time they've ever thought about it. Holy smokes, yeah, dude, that's demoralizing. Yeah, think about it too, Tim. If, you, if you're in the hospital for more than about three days, the entire team rolls over. Oh, yeah. Attending uh, uh, physician, residents, and all that. And they're on, you know, like four days on, six day off type of shift or something right. like that. So now right. you've got to hand off to a complete new team. Yeah, it was, it was painful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel for you, brother. I, that, that's just, it's got to be frustrating. Mm. Wow. Well, well, Jeff can't unmute himself, so we're not gonna. Hold on, hold on. We're not gonna have the nightingale with us. What do we do? Yeah, he's. A, yeah, it looks like he's muted still. What do we do without someone to say? I agree with Timmy. <laughs> there oh you God, go. Oh, oh shit! Oh shit! He just. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what Will's talking about, you know, is uh, is the art form in a general sense. The art form of getting people you have no authority over to do their job. And um, he has a history of being able to do that. And the first time I saw it was, do you remember, Will, you went to Egypt? Um, and uh, we went into Egypt to train, and they were reneging on all kinds of deals. And Will put the fear of God. He was the XO of the company. The fear of God is he was called the Constantine. They didn't want to. And. Uh, Really, that's what you got to do. You got to spread that fine line of making people. Hey, Jeff, we're having we're having a hard time hearing you. Now he's muted again. I'm good now. Oh, jeez, I don't know what's going on, guys. <laughs> You're there now, man. How about now? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Well, that's. I mean. And so that's really the art form of this thing, because in the age of bureaucracy, you got to be able to make people you have no authority over do what they're supposed to do to support you. And um, they're choked up with rules and stuff like that. You got to somehow get beyond and you can't just bluster through it. You got to use tack with some. You got to be a little bit, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, aggressive with other ones. But you got to keep that fine line so you don't get you know, shut down. It's an art form for sure. It's the art form of the 21st century, I think. Well, um, no, I mean, in, in the midst with all the frustration and, and uh, I mean, and, and, and then you're dealing with people that are overwhelmed, right? And, and, yeah. God, only, and God, God only knows who you're talking to that's minding the phone, right? I mean, right. Will, what was that experience like? I mean, was it, was it a medical professional? Was it somebody just answering the phone and relaying information? I mean, who did you talk to? It's a little of both. Um, you know, I talk to the residents every day. I talk to the nurses, but I also talk to administrative people. Um, you know, and then finally, you, you get discharged, and the CEO of the hospital sends a letter that's like, hey, if we can ever help you again, you know, let us know. And, and I called, and uh, this was classic. You know, I called the number, and the person who answered had no idea who I was talking about. And they said, well, maybe you need to talk to so-and-so. So they patched me through to that number. And um, I think they gave me the name like, uh, let's say it was Shelly. And it was supposed to be Sheila or something like that. So then that person figured out and I got their voicemail. 
and that was the executive assistant to the CEO. So I left a voicemail and said, hey, this is the issue, and this is why I'm calling. I appreciate a call back. And someone called me who was some other administrator, you know, about an hour later. Uh, and I went down the laundry list with that person. And God bless them, they did not um, try and defend what had happened. Uh, they said the right words, said they were going to do this. And I said, hey, look, I'll be happy to drive down there and meet with Mr. So-and-so uh, anytime he's available. Uh, well, I'll be sure to let him know. Well, of course, that never came back. Um, yeah, but it, it's, uh, it, you know, God forbid something really bad happens right. in that transition. Right. Because I sense there's a huge liability out there. Uh, well, I mean, Will, what makes you think what makes you think that hasn't happened? Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm sitting in a place saying, I'll be goddamned it's not happening in this case. Uh I actually care about humanity and everyone else, but not as much as I care about this case right mm -hmm. here. Um but it was uh it uh it uh, tested my tact we'll just say that can, can i make an observation i think can segue into the current crisis of the day please do <laughs> go, go ahead there you go there you go i would i would submit to you that the that the, the the problems will is dealing with is is that the hospital systems are unnecessarily complex in response to ever-increasing burdens placed on them by government, such as just like the HIPAA regulations and all kinds of rules and regulations with which they can use to stonewall you when you're trying to get information. And I, I think that's part of a growing problem we have within our institutions that they're showing clear signs of decay. And and uh, that's all I have to say about that. That's it? That was the segue. Well, 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 well you, you got you got ever rising tax burdens. You've got a debased monetary you system, resource depletion, build up and social then degeneracy. The big, you gave us the big buildup and then the big letdown. The migratory pressure. What I'm saying is, is I as I think this overly complex system is 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 basically is why we can see on the news today people that are talking about things that I would have thought a couple weeks ago would be legitimately insane, such as putting everybody who attended the Trump rally on a no-fly list, such as, I, I mean, this whole overreaction to the uh, well, it was, the, the, the Trump it, riots and whatnot. It was sedition, it's, wasn't it? <laughs> it's that's, really bad sedition, that, though, when you get right down. Uh, that's not that. I, I, that's a pretty pissed. No, yeah, you see what I'm saying? It's, 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 that, it's that the systems, every time you deal with the government, it's more and more complex. I know hospitals aren't necessarily part of the government, but the reason why the complexity is built into the system is because th those things are running on government money. That's why they, 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 they that's why they charge so much uh, outside of what you would reasonably expect them to have to charge in order to maximize their insurance payments. That's why so many of them were, were, were classifying people with COVID because it was it was a moneymaker for them. There's a lot of complexity built into the system and it's getting to the point where you can't navigate it unless you're somebody like Will 
who's exceedingly well-trained at, at ferreting through bureaucratic bullshit to get at an answer. He's got 20 years' experience at doing it at a high level. Well, wait a minute. How's your what about, citizen going to Why would you that? snub Jeffrey right there? Jeffrey's adept at <laughs> no, navigating. No, no, Jeff, And Jeffrey, hey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey is navigating the VA system, which takes something where he's noted for, tact. No, no, Jeffrey, Jeffrey well, was the one doing will. Here's the Jeffrey. Truth. Here's Jeffrey the broke broke the uh, broke the ground in this thing with his no. with his uh, with his steps uh, stepson. There's no doubt. Well, but all I'm saying is that the complexity here. Well, why wouldn't you so rec- Why wouldn't you recognize that while you're lauding Will? Why wouldn't you throw Jeff a bone? Why are you Jeff hating? Well, let me he agrees with everything you fucking say, time. Tim. <laughs> Here's the Dude, deal. I could be accused of many things, but Jeff hatred will never be one of them. Listen, me and Jeff Robin tight since day one. I agree with you, Timmy. Jeff is the ineffective Jim Otto against the system, and Will is like the fucking um, Cyrano de Bergerac out fencing the system. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I got, I, I have uh, brain damage from fighting with the fucking VA about, you know, a bunch of different issues. And, uh, you know, bottom line is uh, you, you got to help them help you. That is the key phrase. And that that's a loaded phrase because there's there has to be intimidation in there there's got to be suggested uh connections above that you really don't have there's got to be you know, it can get pretty nasty you know but well uh, wait a minute who says that in a, isn't it a movie help me help you where does that come from oh that is in a movie is that isn't Jer- jerry Maguire? no it was one of those spy ones oh. you gotta help them help you <laughs> that is so maybe it was that but it's like it's so apt, you know. Help them help you. Or you can just go Godfather. Just go Godfather. You got to make them an offer they can't refuse. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's what you would expect Jeff to say, but help them help you is what we got. Okay. Um, I don't know shit about the news. So, uh, what do you guys do? You guys want to talk about the news? What do you want to yeah. talk about? Do you want to talk here's, about. Here's an interesting military thing that I think. So, oh. there's two issues that came up. One was last week and one was, I think, yesterday. So last week, uh, Nancy Pelosi put out a statement that she talked to General Milley about uh, whether, you know, what would happen if the president tried to start a nuclear war. And according to what came out in the news, Milley assured her that there were safeguards in place. And, you know, I I find that I'm hoping that General Milley just sort of said the pablum there's always safeguards in place but that that is almost seditious i mean it, it certainly is think think if someone actually is thinking they target the u.s right the window just got a little bit wider open and the second thing is there was a they call it a 32 star letter put out yesterday so it's uh it's all the service chiefs to include, I think, Space Force. So there's 20 stars, the chairman, the vice, 28, and I think the National Guard Bureau, 32-star letter that basically said, you know, Joe Biden's going to be the president, and, you know, we agree with this, and yada, yada, yada. And I'm not sure anybody asked them what their opinion was. Right. Um, but when they do that, that's what you call politicization of the military. Did right. anyone doubt that the uniformed services were going to follow the orders of the commander in chief? Did anyone? I mean, and so when you, put I that was, out, I was worried about it. Just for the record. Okay, 
Uh, you, you put I thought, that out. I thought, you, I thought they would disobey. <laughs> yeah, I didn't it's think they'd the, follow him at all. It's the stupidest fucking shit going, man. Like, but I, yeah. And I'm just saying, though, by doing that, though, now they embroil themselves in politics. Well, well, you know, well, well shows, William, that's your favorite subject, right? It shows contempt for the American people that she would even say that, which yeah. she has, you know, absolute contempt for, you yeah. know, like, like the president's gonna launch a nuclear attack on where? I mean, what, what the fuck? You know, it's like stupid. And and again, what, you know, General Milley. I, again, I wasn't there, and you don't know what if the quotes are accurate. Right, so right, let's right, give right. everyone the benefit of the doubt. But right. on the other hand, he should say, uh, Madam Speaker, this is not an appropriate conversation for you and I to have. If you're concerned yes. about yeah. the nuclear chain of command, you should approach the appropriate authorities. I mean, that's, or in other words, how about a nice cup of shut the fuck up, right? Yeah. Well, um, but, but they never say that. They never I know. say that. It's, and, it, it's just all the fucking time. You know, General Mattis writes a letter, you know, after this shit. Kelly is in, uh, is in the news again, again. They're retired, but Millie is in the chain of command. Well, wait a minute. Who would, does who would, not wait, go the thirty? The thirty-two star letters are those guys on active duty, or they were? They no, no, retired? no, no. That's yeah. Active. That's they. They used to call it a twenty-four star letter. Oh. It would be the chairman, the vice, and the four service chiefs. I. They do it very rarely. The last one I remember was General Pace. There was a editorial cartoon using a wounded serviceman, and and the. All the service chiefs signed a letter saying basically that's that's beyond the pale. Yeah. I'm sure it's happened since then, but it's like once every couple of years. And it's typically a narrow military uh, sort of thing that they put out. And this one is, uh, I mean, to me it's bizarro that, that, you know, when someone says, I'm not lying to you. What's the first thing you think? You put your hand in your wallet, man. Yeah. Put your hand yeah. in your wallet. They're you not lying, lying to you. And when <laughs> these guys... Kulak. Just, that was Kulak's big thing. Yeah. Who asked you the question <laughs> as to whether there, you were going to be in support of the chain of command? You all swore an oath. And the idea that you need to tell us again, it, right. it makes me uneasy uh, that like they think Colin that Powell. that's appropriate. Colin Powell, Ooh. who asked that? He's a Republican. He had to make a big statement. I'm well, and again, to... those people they're they're gone. They don't they don't matter. But the people that are on active duty in the chain of command, they just injected themselves into a political issue. And if you want to be concerned about the politicization of the military, don't inject yourself into political issues. And yeah, but I don't think anybody is quite as adept as that as J.F. Dunford was. He was pretty good at that. I mean, I mean, how he survived, you know, after, I don't know if Trump was pissed at him, but he certainly said Millie was taken over pretty far in advance. And uh, J.F. Dunford, smooth as a baby's ass, man. He, uh, he... Well, I think... Part of it is he did the right thing in those circumstances. Um, he was not going to be the center of attention because if he was, something wasn't right. Um, so, 
that's what I think in most cases military people are supposed to do, be able to give best military advice behind closed doors. And if you politicize your office, then people are going to question, are they getting best military advice or is there a political taint to it? So, yeah, I, I don't I don't recall General Dufford ever being involved in a newsworthy controversy as that wasn't his game. He was he his was to advise secretary president. But what's what was impressive was is that in this era of controversy and high profile visibility, especially around, you know, President Trump, where that shit swirls. I mean, he was able to stay out of that. And I think because he, he understood his oath and his duty. And, uh, you know, it, it, how much ego is there for someone to be able to want to inject themselves to make themselves important? Um, it, I, it, is that a rhetorical you know, question or are you looking for an uh, No, it's, it's obvious. And, and if there's not a lot of them have total control of their ego. And as a result, they're in the headlines. That was very gentle, Will. Well done. Mm. Um, Timmy, Jeff? I'm, I'm, known, I'm known for I, new one. You know, well, Ed, Ed, as you may not know right now, Chuck Schumer, uh, along with several others, is announcing that everybody who is identified as being in the Capitol or around the Capitol should be put on a federal no-fly list at a minimum. Um, you've got different various uh, uh, corporations scouring social media, trying to detect if any of their employees were at that, that conference, and they're to be terminated, too, because what we had was not a protest against some people who had legitimate grievances about a very peculiar election. What we had apparently was an insurrection. And I'm, uh, and I am, uh, I'm, I'm appalled at, at how on at 180, the narrative about, uh, you know, having grievances and a right to protest and whatnot has changed. And it seems that people are particularly incensed at the visuals of protesters in the Capitol. Uh, they've been in the Capitol all summer, as I recall. They were there during the Kavanaugh hearings, as I recall. But these protesters, in particular, and and I'm I'm was I've not I I cannot believe the backlash that's happening on the media. Because remember, all uh, military politics, all that stuff is drowned is 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 downstream from our culture and wait a minute, everything wait a minute, that sits wait a on top of Timmy, our culture. Did you just say you cannot believe? The backlash from the media? No, no, oh, oh, uh, talking. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of people there. There's, I, I cannot believe the, 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 they instantly dismiss any any talk about BLM and Antifa as what aboutism, which is a false equivalency, right, but right, that's okay. Right, right, right. And then, and well, then, wait a minute, but, I, I just but, don't understand why you find it hard to believe that they would seize on this in the same fashion that they but put people put people in no fly list. Yeah, shitty. Why me? would you? Why would I you mean, think they would put them in? Get ruin them, hound them out of their jobs and whatnot. We don't have a right to protest now anymore. We don't have a right of assembly. Oh man, this is very, very. This is this is very upsetting to me. And what the the problem is is, you know, on top of culture, that mechanism that sits on top and drives our culture. That's all on their camp. All that money, all the wealth, all the oligarchs are on the other side, which means we we're old men, but we're rebels now. And I like that. It's the only thing I like about this whole. 
damn mess. Got We're it. our rebels. We're rebels. We are definitely on the outside, boys. Jeffrey, any thoughts? Well, I mean, I'm torn between talking about what Will was talking about and talking about what Tim was just talking about. Um, I pretty much agree mostly with what Tim was saying. Though. Well, let me ask you a question. So who do you agree with? Who do you agree with less? <laughs> well, I um, <laughs> I just have a different perception about the way the uh, – the whole thing with General Dunford and the, and General Neller and uh, all right, so it sounds all like you agree things. with Will less. So let's let's have you address Will. Okay. Well, um, I feel that conflict we had in Iraq and Afghanistan were in in all the conflicts we've had in our history of our country. The enemy in those two is the most anemic, and we could have we could have dealt with them swiftly, expeditiously, and the weakness of our of our um, strategic leaders is the reason it did they're more concerned with um how many women do we have you know in the in the theater how many how many women are we trying to get so you can vote in afghanistan how, a lot of baloney you know what i mean and uh and i think that and also the uh, and also contributing to the corruption in both places and and probably both of them end up in abject and failure because and it's so th- this is nothing compared to the other challenges we've had. There's nothing compared to the, the Japanese army and navy, or the or the Germans, or the North Vietnamese, or the or the Chinese in Korea, or anything like this. This is just guys who have uh, flaccid will. And I have to think, General Dunford is one of them. He was more. He was like concerned about what was appropriate. But what he should have done, I think, was take control. I mean, I don't know. You know, they'll, they'll pro- will knows more about this than me. He'll probably say, "Well, that's not part of his job." But take control and say, "This is the strategy we're going to do." You guys are going to do it, and you know, this is how we're going to do this. After we're going to throw all these civilian, uh, you know, um, efforts out of Afghanistan to make the, you know, the women be able to vote and to have, you know, acceptance of homosexuals and all kinds of stuff. The Afghans will look at you like you were, like you had a dick growing out of your head when you said it to him, you know. And uh, he just didn't say anything. Just didn't. He never says anything, really, you know. And uh, he's Mister Appropriate. And that's just not good enough. We needed something <laughs> different. And so because of that, a lot of guys got killed that didn't need to be and for a useless cause because both of them are going to are probably not going to be, you know, what we intended to when we started this thing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just where I come from in this is, uh, uh, you know, General Dover can speak for himself. Right. Um, but, but I would say. Uh, when he went to Afghanistan, it was obvious what the mission in Afghanistan was, is to get it off the front page. You know, that's the mission that I think that the president, in so many words, said uh, that the president who sets policy was not interested in winning that. Right. And so victory was defined as get us out of there or to a level that we can uh, salvage something of our honor integrity or i don't know um and so uh, i i give him a lot of credit for that and as the chairman uh you know he he navigated uh the end of the obama years and the beginning of the trump years and i think uh you can look uh at that office in particular and uh see someone who is executing the policy. And um, 
I just know because I was around uh, when General Pace was a chairman. I worked there in a joint staff right on that passageway. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the chairman is in with the president once or twice a week. Right. So at what point are you going to break with the president and be public about how you do it? And is that appropriate or not? And uh, I have a feeling, uh, you know, General Dufford's smarter than all those people, that he uh, argued to the point. But in the end, you know, you take an oath and it's uh, the president's commander in chief. And that may be sort of panty waste with people when he was the, when he was at the helm it was not 2002 2003 2004 right. i think it was more of uh we're not interested in winning this thing yeah. yeah how do we get out of it you know i don't know i hopefully that doesn't sound like an excuse uh, well you know it's hard to if you know general dunford and you know it's hard not to you can't not venerate the guy because it, his, you know, he's he's a he's an admirable person. Every thought and deed and word he does, he's like you know he's he's like General Marshall or Robert E. Lee in the way he acts. But I just think with those guys, it resulted in success. With with the guys we get, and I, I feel the same way about General Neller. I love the guy, you know, and uh, and I admire General Mattis and everything. But they just disappoint the shit out of me because uh, I just don't agree with how things. I don't understand why they did what they did. And the things they were afraid of when they were up there mystify me. These are guys who are like lead men in combat. And they're afraid of like a female senator from New York. I mean, t- petrified in some cases. And it's like, I'm like, I'm disappointed in them. And I, I wish it would be explained because yeah. those guys did a lot for me. You know, all of all the guys I mentioned did. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, this is a bitter pill. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you could find Dunford testimony um, that he took a lot of shit from people in the Senate. Right. Um, I think you could find it with the other people, and I think you know General Madison. Because by the time General Madison was a secretary, he's a political. Yeah. He's a partisan, uh, and he he was in a different position. Uh, you know, I think General Neller the same way. I would I would be critical of the way he handled uh, certain things as well, because uh, I thought he sort of bent to the narrative, uh, yeah. as opposed to, um, you know, say I mean, General Krulak is a is is a mixed bag, but I'll never forget when uh, I think it was a new. Uh, like assistant secretary of the army said something about Marines being extremists. And he says, yeah, we're extremely loyal. We're extremely fit. Uh, that's how we're extreme. You know, I, I think that, that general Neller had an opportunity to do that. Yeah. And people were shoving bullshit down his throat and he didn't. So. Right. Yep. What happened? Word will go. I'm still here. Oh, yeah. so all right, Timmy. Any thoughts on all that? No, man. No, I, I, uh, I am the one guy who doesn't know those guys as well as you all do. I, I love listening to you talk about them, but I, I have nothing to germane to to add. I'm afraid. All right, all right, all right. Um, I, I hate to be briefer tonight than normally, but I've got to go to sleep because I've got to do my shit tomorrow. 
You're working your ass off, man. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you know, I, I, I am. I'm doing this thing like three times a day, and I, and I, and I try to keep it under three hours. I, I bust my ass. It is the densest presentation. I talk at like 78 RPM. Hi, I'm Jeff Kenny. Right? And so, and so um, yeah, but, uh, um, you know, it is amazing. I, I, I had a Chief Warrant Officer 5 uh, in, in it. What's today? Wednesday? Today's you're hearing this on Thursday. We're recording on Wednesday night, but so it'll be on Tuesday. And um, you know, and and you know, those guys have been around the Marine Corps forever, right? Um, although he's junior to me, um, so not that long. So anyway, um, but they roll in, and and you, he doesn't want to be there. You can tell. And then he comes up to me at the end of it, and he just. He's effusive in his praise. And there's two chief warrant officer fives that did that this week. And a warrant officer that was an amputee who was telling me how excited he was, what he had seen, but he had to leave to go to some physical therapy. And he was so excited that, you know, would I be interested in doing a Zoom call with a group of amputees that he meets with? He said, because, you know, we all have these problems that you're talking about. And oh I, man, that's cool. Well, in, in, in the, I mean, I, I just lead uh, a, a really cool life, and uh, so, um, so I mean, again, it's uh, I, I just wish this COVID shit would be done so I could do it more often and do it with larger groups and and It'll whatnot. It'll be done February twenty first. Don't worry. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right, so what are you reading? Jeff, hold on, Jeff's got to go first so he can't copy anybody. Jeff, what are you reading? I'm rereading two books I love oh. um, by Byron Farwell. One of them is Queen Victoria's Little Wars, and the other one is Eminent Victorian Soldiers. And oh, about, Queen Victoria was the Queen of England for like um, 70 years, something. And only one year of those, they didn't have a British soldier killed. Those guys fought their ass off all over the place, for good or for ill. But uh, most of these fights are what we would call now company-level, maybe to battalion-level fights. But we're talking about the first and second Afghan, first, second, first and second Afghan wars, the Sepoy Revolt, the wars in the you know the punitive wars in the Punjab, all this stuff. You know the uh, the Crimean War, all these small little wars that. Uh, where they lost a shitload of guys fighting the Zulus and stuff. And uh, you just uh, you see the uh, ingenuity of these guys and the, uh, the heroism, the absolute belief that England was the hope of the world. You know, and, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but both those books are complimentary because they're vignettes. You know, like you have a vignette about uh, the first Afghan war, and then you have a vignette about, like, Sir John Nicholson, who's, like, the hero of the first Afghan war, who was the first lieutenant. Who ended up being a colonel, and uh, so it's really interesting and it's very good. A little, another little side note: one of our comrades, Mel Mellinger, Eric Mellinger, he used, when he was an IOC instructor, he one time took his mentees, his his like eight or nine lieutenants, he took them to Ball's Bluff, which was a small battle fought in the very beginning of the Civil War on the on the uh, the uh, Potomac River up by this place called Ball's Bluff. And Byron Farwell's house was on Ball's Bluff. So they went there and they drank whiskey and talked to Byron Farwell. And uh, he, talk, he told them all about the book and everything. 
Ball's Bluff was famous because about a couple hundred uh, Union soldiers got killed. Their bodies were in the water. And Abraham Lincoln was having one of these parties uh, where he's had these senators tell him we're going to beat the rebels and stuff. And while they're it was on one of the, the, the yacht that they had for the president on the Potomac River, and these dead guys start floating by from Ball's Bluff. And uh, it was just a vignette that I find interesting. And Mel, Mel's the one who really uh, turned me on to Byron Farwell. Great author. He probably wrote the best biography of Stonewall Jackson ever written. Ooh. Yeah. There you so go. that's me, and I, that's what I did, and I'm done talking. <laughs> Tim, what are you reading? I've got a book that was sent to me, Into the Hellman with the Walking Dead, uh, by uh, Miles Vinning and Kevin Schrantz. This is uh, the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines. Uh, I was on their Facebook page, and I put a note in there saying, hey, I used to be there. And uh, he sent me a copy of the book. So I'm getting a, a very cool Lance Corporal Eye view of, uh, of the Marine Corps circa 2009, 2010. Wow. Yeah. 1-9. Nice. There you go. Will? What that's re- right. That's a great battalion. Will, what, on your on your drive from New York back to Kansas, do you do you listen to books? Do you listen to music? No. no I listen to music. I actually, on the way home, I probably made 10 phone calls. To just people. Um, one of my, I, I'll talk about for a second. Uh, my roommate, my last roommate from Navy last week, uh, his name is Mike Iasi. He was, uh, he finished 20th in our class at Navy and uh, rarely studied. Um, and he rode with a heavyweight crew and uh, just a great guy. And uh, he was in the building on 9-11. And uh, he died of a brain hemorrhage uh, last week. Um, so just a good friend of mine. And, and I talked to a couple of, uh, couple of guys from Navy uh, on the way home, just talking about him and what had been going on. So, yeah, that's what I do. I don't listen to books. Uh, so reading-wise, I, uh, I finished uh, Sparta's Second Attic War by Paul Rahi. Really good stuff, and it rhymes today. The history rhymes uh, with the modern world, uh, and the guy's a great author. And then I also read a book. It's called Kriege, K-R-I-E-G-I-E, by a guy named Kenneth Simmons. He was uh, 8th Air Force B-24 bombardier shot down, uh, I want to say, in the fall of 1944. And Kriege was the German word for POW. And he just documents being in a POW camp uh, from the fall of 44 through the liberation, probably, oh, two weeks before the war ended. And uh, General Patton himself drove a tank into the POW camp uh, where they were. Uh, and he watched Patton climb out of this tank and tell him that the war was over for him. Uh, so just a really interesting firsthand account. Um, and now I'm reading a book called Age of Gold by H.W. Brands. Um, it's just about the California gold rush. Just really, this guy writes all kinds of different history books. And this one's just a, a neat, detailed narrative history uh, of the gold rush. And I just, I just got to the point where uh, William Sherman, who happened to be stationed in San Francisco, they come down from Sutter's Mill. And he's one of the first people that that proves that, yeah, this is real gold. Uh, and now what are we going to do? 
So really good, uh, interesting book. And I've, I know I've read other books by this guy, but he just sort of picks a topic and goes off, and he's probably written 20 books. Uh, just a very nice narrative style uh, with enough detail, uh, but he, he keeps the story moving along. Wow. Give me an interesting fact of American POWs in Germany. Well, um, so this guy, he bails out. Everyone in his crew got out and hit the ground. Right. And they knew where they were going to be taken to be interrogated. And Allied Intelligence had learned enough to be able to train these guys to know what to expect. Uh, and they were adept at not giving away information. And then the second thing is, when they got into that prison, none of the other prisoners would deal with them until they'd been vetted because the Germans had tried to infiltrate with, you know, Native American speaking, uh, you know, German infiltrators. And they had an intelligence network, even in this first interrogation place, that could vet these guys by who they had trained with before, what unit they were in, what their hometown was to be able to prove to the rest of the prisoners that they were a legitimate allied POW. Uh, so the intelligence apparatus, both in England to prepare these guys in case they got shot down, but also in the camps themselves. Uh, you, you know, you hear about in Vietnam, they had the little tap code that they would use. Right. These guys in Germany were, were light years beyond uh, beyond that. And I, I never really knew that. It was really interesting to see. And just and as this guy describes it, he knew what they were going to do to him. And of course, because he knew he was prepared uh, to deal with it. Uh, and it made it easier for them to not give up information. And what's the name of the book? It's called Kriege, K-R-I-E-G-I-E by Kenneth Simmons. Um, I'm uh, actually listening to, in spite of Will bad-mouthing audiobooks, I am listening to the book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, I see him uh, now uh, three times a day doing his uh, little thing about the Stockdale Paradox, so I thought I should listen to that book. So I, I started listening to that, and I would offer you a little bit of tourism based on uh, Will's uh, reading about the gold rush. If you're ever in Northern California, I would absolutely positively tell you to go see the Railroad Museum in Old Sa in Old Town, Sacramento. It is an absolute awesome uh, museum. And uh, in that museum, they kind of chronicle the engineering feat of attempting uh, to get over the Sierra Nevadas. And it is fascinating the way, the way they did it. There's an engineer by the name of Theodore Judah. And uh, he's the one that actually found the route because they had tried and couldn't get over the Sarahs. And they knew that whoever did that would make a lot of money. And then what you had was the great robber barons of California, Huntington, Stanford, Crocker, and I can't remember who the fourth one was. Um, they... Uh, they were they came together and they financed the route that Judah uh, had laid out, and that became the uh, route over the Sierra Nevadas for the Southern Pacific. And they made a shit ton of money, and uh, and the rest is history. But the museum is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. 
And uh, so I would recommend it too. A little bit of California history. The Golden State. So anyway, all right, boys. Well, first <laughs> of all, uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate your flexibility tonight. And uh, I know everybody... Um, I know everybody... Uh, <laughs> Uh, misses hearing you and so I didn't want to deprive them of that and uh, I will talk to you next week and uh, and uh, glad everybody's home and uh, I think I muted Jeff because he made so much fucking noise you know <laughs> he's, he's just clueless to it too he's old yeah, sorry old. it's brutal brutal <laughs> alright guys have a great one Hey, right. safe trip back, Mac. All right, bud. See you. you too. All right, there you have it. Those, in fact, are the Mensa brothers right there. And with Jeff Kenny accompanying everybody by rattling his phone all over the place. He has no idea he's doing it, too. Or he's in denial, one of the two. I I'm not, haven't quite made up my mind. Yeah, haven't quite made up my mind. So, um, anyway, I got done early earlier tonight and got home and so i thought i would uh i thought i would tee this up i'm not sure i will get home early tomorrow night so uh so that'll uh, that'll do it for tonight thanks for listening um little update here from north carolina uh now just doing post-traumatic winning and uh, as usual, I mean, the experience is pretty amazing. Um, the Marines are, uh, are really cool. And, um, and I have to tell you this. I mean, they are they're so interested in how to help. And, uh, and the other thing is that they get excited because, you know, they own all the tools. They own all the tools, and, and so uh, so it's just uh, starting the third year of post-traumatic way. How about that? Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, no, it's a it's an awesome experience, and, and I've been doing I've been doing the program three times a day, which I don't do very often because it's about three hours, so it's about nine hours of talking, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I came home last night and fell asleep. Slept in my clothes all night. I was tired. So, anyway, um, have a great day. And uh, I might be able to do an update tomorrow. But uh, if I'm not able to, uh, be back on the air on Monday. So, have a, great, uh, have a great day. Don't be afraid to go change somebody's life. Make sure you do your breathing sec- exercises throughout all this. Um, I think I can assure you that the, the democracy will survive. And um, this too will pass. And the nation will get to a better place. But I think you've heard us say in the past weeks that every, we all believe that this will get worse before it gets better. So you're going to see it. So uh, do your breathing exercises. Have a great day. And uh, I will either see you tomorrow uh, for kind of an update or Monday. On a Thursday, All Marine Radio. Out. Stop again.